Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. I think, Francis, we just agreed it's been two years since I uttered those words. So a bit of a hiatus. Um, um, you actually have indicated here uh, um, a definition for the time that we've taken off, and I'm going to let you, Francis Harry, my co-host, explain our uh, absence and yet again our uh, return. Well, we did six years straight of uh, programs on Radio Maria, and then we kind of took a seventh year Sabbath rest, our seventh day, our seventh year rest. But we're back now, and we have a new format right now, right? We do, and that is in podcast. So somewhat uniquely for Francis and I, we won't have to schedule uh, firm times, uh, nor duration. We will uh, simply enter the studio that we have, and we'll uh, provide programming where uh, we think there's good content and something meaningful for us to share, Francis, with our listeners. And in this case, today, uh, we agreed that the um, a Feast of St. Joseph, Joseph the husband of Mary, which will be tomorrow for us, the 19th of March, was a good time for us to honor uh, St. Joseph and certainly worthy of our time to come back in studio to do that. So uh, we've decided to do that and uh, use that as a way to relaunch Carmelite conversations, um, and hopefully, uh, again, uh, be able to uh, share as much uh, meaningful uh, content about the Carmelite life, the secular life that we live in Carmel, and a full life of contemplation, uh, despite the fact that uh, we are seculars living in the world. And so that's the theme of our entire program, Living the Contemplative Life. And today we're going to begin that process again by honoring uh, one of our great saints, St. Joseph. Now, uh, St. Joseph, of course, uh, Francis, is a patron for Carmel. You want to just say something about that before we pray to St. Joseph? Yeah, he's the patron and the protector of our order. And in fact, I think it was the Carmelites who first uh, got on the calendar uh, a feast day for St. Joseph, and then the rest of the church caught up and uh, added it, and then later came May 1st uh, Mm -hmm. for St. Joseph the Worker. So... uh, St. Joseph has been a a pivotal uh, point for all of the Carmelites, and of course we know St. Teresa of Avila had a great love for him. I'm sure there'll be other programs where we get into that even more. Uh, So I just think it's uh, so wonderful that we can come back uh, again anew um, and have St. Joseph uh, lead the way. Yeah, in fact, uh, just to... uh capstone that comment, St. Joseph, of course, was honored by Teresa of Avila in many ways. We'll talk about those later. But uh, the first uh, Carmel that she founded inside the walls of Avila was named for St. Joseph. And you've been there, right? I had the pleasure of being in that Carmel. I attended Mass there, and it was quite a treat. So uh, with that, why don't we turn to St. Joseph in prayer? We're going to use a famous and ancient prayer to St. Joseph. Francis, would you lead us in prayer? This is the Memorare of St. Joseph. So let's just get recollected, and I want you to just take a moment to just look within your heart, your soul, and let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most illustrious patriarch, St. Joseph, on the testimony of St. Teresa, thy devoted client, never has it been heard that anyone invoked thy protection or sought thy mediation who has not obtained relief. In this confidence, I come before thee, my loving protector, chaste spouse of Mary, 
foster father of the Savior of men and dispenser of the treasures of his sacred heart. Despise not my earnest prayer, but graciously hear and obtain my petition. And let us pray, O God, who by thy ineffable providence didst vouchsafe, vouchsafe to choose blessed Joseph for the spouse of thy most holy mother, grant, we beseech thee, that he whom we venerate as our protector on earth may be our intercessor in heaven, who liveth and reigneth forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Mark, before we get to the major topic of today's podcast, I want to ask you, how did you get interested in St. Joseph, and what kind of devotions do you have to St. Joseph? Well, actually, it began literally with my baptism. I was baptized in a church named for St. Joseph in Burlington, Vermont, uh, way back in uh, a year that I'm not going to mention, Francis. Uh, but it was my f uh, favorite church. And actually, in the city of Burlington, Vermont, that church has now become the cathedral. There was a much larger cathedral many, many years ago. It subsequently burned down. They replaced it with a smaller church. Um, and there were a number of uh, challenges, uh, frankly, with regard to that church, which uh, aren't pertinent to our conversation. And so it was ultimately closed down. And then St. Joseph's, the largest church in, uh, in Burlington, the city of Burlington in Vermont, was then named the cathedral. So uh, I have a claim to having been baptized in a cathedral and one name for St. Joseph. That's where it started. But I think your real question is, um, you know, where did the devotion to St. Joseph begin? I think like for most men... Uh, and fathers, of which I'm both. Uh, my devotion began with St. Joseph because I recognized him as a patron of uh, both men and for my fatherhood. So it started uh, probably soon after, uh, in, a, in a more deliberate way, soon after the birth of my first child. Uh, but also, uh, I can say, and I know we're going to talk about it later, I won't elaborate at this point, Joseph was the one, St. Joseph was the one, I think, really began to teach me about recollection. Yeah. Now, Teresa, of course, uh, is our master teacher of the of prayer of recollection, but I learned about the prayer of recollection because of a reference to it in the life of St. Joseph, how he lived such a recollected life. At that time, I didn't know what the word meant, mm -hmm. and so I began to research it and try to get an understanding of it, which in part is what led me to Teresa. Uh, so I think... Um, those are the principal reasons that I, I gravitated to St. Joseph as a, a, a patron of my own. And did you take his name in, in religion? No, I didn't. Oh, I actually okay. took Paul. Okay, uh, that's right. Uh, I, I'm sorry, John, John Paul Francis is my name in religion. Uh, okay, but, okay. You know. I was wondering if it was Joseph. Yeah. All right, well, um, how did you get into pondering the silence of St. Joseph? You were talking about the recollection, um, but then you got into the silence, and I know that that is going to be um, our big topic for today. Yeah, there's a very well-known prayer book, a series of devotions to St. Joseph. I, I could find it uh, here in the library, but um, it, it spoke very deliberately about Joseph's devotion to silence. I know that's what we're going to talk about this whole program, um, but I was particularly taken by that after I had joined Carmel and I began to realize the importance of silence. Of course, we've talked about silence before, Francis, you and I have done whole programs right. on it, both exterior silence, silence of the voice and sound, but more importantly, interior silence. And what I learned from Joseph, and we'll talk about each of the events in his life that represent this, is that his interior silence, although a form of 
uh, asceticism, if you will, which we'll also talk about briefly. Um, they were really what opened him up to the working of the Holy Spirit within his life. His ability to listen to the Holy Spirit was born of his silence. And I think the fact that uh, we recognize there's not a single word uttered by Joseph in Scripture um, is indicative of the fact that he was a man completely attuned to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And I, as a Carmelite, was very taken by that. Uh, and so you um, have written an article, gave a presentation about St. Joseph, and you titled it, if, I'm, if I mem- uh, remember correctly, A Man of Few Words. Yeah, I actually uh, uh, had this published in, a, in an online publication, Catholic publication, and uh, thought it would be a good reflection for um, next month, actually, uh, in, in Carmel, uh, in the month of April, we'll talk about Joseph's silence. And I did write about uh, all of those instances in his life where he could have, and for most of us probably would have, asked God a few questions about uh, the guidance and the direction that he was receiving. Uh, And we'll go through those. But in each of these instances, what we'll discover is Joseph simply remained silent. So uh, maybe we can go through some of those. Yes, I'd like to hear about some of those significant biblical accounts in Joseph's life and and how silence uh, factored in. Well, let's start right uh, from the beginning where we hear about Joseph's uh, betrothed to Mary. uh, and later, uh, Mary, of course, was found to be with child. Um, we also uh, no doubt recall Joseph's initial intention to divorce her, not because of his um, animosity at the finding of uh, her situation, but rather to maintain her integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thought he might just quietly divorce her. Um, and then, of course, um, we read in Matthew one twenty. After he had considered this, that is the divorce, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary into your home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, many of us might have a whole series of reactions to that sort of situation, a man, of course. Um, Here's Joseph's reaction, also reflected in Matthew 1.24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. End how of many story. Other people, <laughs> how many other people wake up and do exactly what the dream said? But, you know, an angel of the Lord, and uh, this is significant, I think, an angel of the Lord appearing in a dream, because this happens a couple other times, and I know you're going get, to get into that. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I made the point here, uh, Joseph's actions seem to do the talking. Um, there isn't, in this case, uh, any question of, in Joseph's mind. He doesn't even go to Mary and say, let's talk about this. Right. Scripture records he simply took her into his home. Of course, only a short time after that, the Magi from the East visit uh, both Mary and Joseph and the newborn child. And Joseph was just beginning to prepare to settle, prepare, prepared to settle into his new home life. And there was uh, this additional surprise for him to deal with. And again, I'll quote scripture, Matthew 2.13. When they, that is the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Again, somewhat disturbing circumstances, especially for a man. There's a, you know, obviously a, a natural desire to want to protect both our wife and our child. 
Um, the question might well have been asked, is there going to be any additional help? Do I get any guidance? <laughs> Who's going to make provision for this? Uh, of course, uh, scripture records Matthew 2.14, Joseph's reaction. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and during the night they left for Egypt. Yes, <laughs> he doesn't even question <laughs> Are you sure? You know, because he hasn't heard about, you know, uh, Herod searching for the child to kill him. You know, the first news he's here about this is from this dream, from yeah. the angel appearing yeah. to him. And so uh, I think most people would, would probably just uh, ponder that for days and <laughs> kind of see, okay, are there any facts to support this? But, but not Joseph. His faith was so pure. It's leading to, and we'll preempt a little bit of this, the, the sort of the end of the story without giving it away, but um, we can find all through Scripture, uh, certainly in the Old Testament and many in the New Testament, where uh, an angel of the Lord visits somebody and gives them guidance and direction, gives them instruction, and there's always sort of a dialogue, a discourse. Let me get clarity on this. Let me make sure this is really what you meant. We, we know in our own case with Elijah, uh, who we look to, uh, in Carmel as, uh, as a, a leader and someone whose life we model, obviously, standing before the Lord in prayer. Uh, and so many others, I don't want to elaborate, but um, in all those cases, uh, there is dialogue, back and forth, questioning clarity. In Joseph's, not so. It's simply, this is what you need to do, and without question, Joseph get ups, you know, gets up and does it. He does appear, as I say in the article, to be a man of few words. Mm -hmm. um, now, during this exile in Egypt, Joseph and Mary must have been very anxious to return to their homeland in Israel. Uh, God seemed to understand their desire as well. And so eventually, uh, recorded again in Scripture, Matthew 2, 19 through 20, we read, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So uh, we know that uh, Joseph has at least been given the assurance that there's no risk anymore. But again, no um, uh, guidance as regard how he will uh, secure the provisions for this travel or make his living once he's returned. We can imagine he's probably been away for some time. Instead, Joseph says, uh, Joseph does rather. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. That's Matthew 2.21. I mean, when you think about it... it uh, this is the third time this has happened. So, you know, I, I imagine that each time his faith even, you know, stepped out further because it was confirmation, you know, when he acted in faith and it was confirmation that he did what was right. Yeah. You know, um, so it, it's just kind of interesting to think, you know, there were three times where the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And, and I, I can't help to wonder, was there a connection with the three falls um, on the way of the cross of Jesus, because you know so much in the in Scripture uh, uh, references each other or is a typology. Or, yeah. Um, so I, I just wonder uh, if if there's more, but uh, that's something we can ponder, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Joseph obviously did miss Israel, and so he was very motivated uh, to get back. Uh, and so we can uh, uh, certainly understand his willingness to do this, but again, no question as to what he's going to do. He simply uh, responds uh, to the, the guidance he's been given. Well, let's look a little uh, further in the life of Joseph, finally, actually, at one of those teachable moments for him as a father. And I said one of the things that attracted me to Joseph was his fatherhood. 
Uh, certainly Joseph uh, must have, on occasion, had to speak even to Jesus, even to his perfect son. Um, and so uh, we recall uh, the incident when Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, he's about 12 at this time, went to Jerusalem for a feast. On the way back to Nazareth, the parents realized that their young son was no longer with them. Actually, uh, the relatives um, um, that uh, they had thought he was with indicated that he was not either with them. Uh, they, of course, Joseph and Mary, rushed back to Jerusalem. It took a full three days uh, for them to get to uh, Jerusalem because of the time they had spent uh, moving back towards uh, Nazareth. Um, and ultimately, they do find him. Of course, we know the story in the temple among the teachers. And they question uh, Jesus. And here is what Luke records, Luke 2.51. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, not Joseph, but his mother, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus, of course, does not quite understand his earthly parents' concern. He, in fact, says in Luke 2.49, why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's house? I have to say, I really identify with Mary's and Joseph's anxiousness here. <laughs> and, you know, she does say, she confirms it, because Scripture says anxiously searching. So so we know they didn't have a pipeline to a, an angel of the Lord at that time. In this case, that's them. right. Very they good point. They were left having to walk in faith. Right. Can you imagine uh, how uh, any of us might feel? Certainly as a father, I can certainly imagine how I would feel if my 12-year-old had just sort of wandered off yeah. for three days. Uh, I find him, and his response is what Jesus was in this case, almost a bit dismissive, but we don't know the tone, of course. Um, and we might well imagine that a father, again, I confess, I certainly would have had a few uh, words for my son. But Joseph, nothing. Honestly, all um, this searching for words of Joseph is leaving me a little bit speechless at this point, Francis. Um, what is the point? Uh, to be fair, Joseph knew who his son was, of course, and that was the point. Arguing with the Son of God would not get him anywhere. Joseph knew where he stood, and he understood uh, that his role was a profound role and, and had great responsibility. And Joseph, we can only imagine, we do hear about his integrity, his faithfulness, uh, we can only imagine that he had matured to such a level of intimacy with our Lord that even the mere utterance of an angel was simply uh, taken in faith as a direct order on Joseph's part without question, never debating, never, as I said, uh, even an interior discourse. We don't read that Joseph struggled with these decisions, that he somehow hesitated um, in each case, we simply hear that he got up and did what the angel had directed him to do. And, and all of that, um, his silence in all of that is so unlike what people would normally do. Um, but yet, all of his silence was a confirmation of his true belief in the Son being the Son of God. You know, that Jesus right. was um, the Son of God. So yeah, it's just kind of amazing to think. But but. At the same time, you, you you sit there and Joseph's like he 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 he's got God and the mother <laughs> who was immaculately conceived. You know how can you go up against either one of them? They're yeah. they're both perfectly right. You know. No, but again, I think it's fair to say that we do. Um, you know, we we have God and we have Jesus, and if we have the full story of Jesus's life, of course, Joseph was 
uh, taken from the world before uh, Christ had fulfilled his mission. So even though jo- uh, Joseph knew who Jesus was and probably understand quite well what his mission was, it seems reasonable uh, as it was for so many prophets in the Old Testament, for King David in the Old Testament, to simply uh, engage in a you know sort of a discussion with God about exactly what the implications of uh, his various decisions and directions were. But Joseph never does. Complete silence. And again, um, I think the fact that he's uh, remained silent throughout all of Scripture is very uh, deliberately intended to send a clear message to us. Not that we are simply to be obedient uh, lemmings in, in our spiritual journey, but that when we've been given the direction by the Lord, there is no response. There is no question. There's no sort of a, a dialogue around it. We simply do what we have been told to do. Plus this is know, what faith says. And plus we know faith can take you beyond what your intellect can take you. I mean, that's what St. John of the Cross teaches us. Right. But like I said before, this mystery, because um, this is one of the mysteries of the rosary, this one, I always... Uh, pause with a little bit of, of angst in my heart because I'm just thinking what it'd be like to search for your kid. I lost my kid at Disney World just for about five minutes and I was a panicked mama. <laughs> and uh, so uh, maybe it, it brings that back to me. But uh, I read something recently that, that pointed out, well, this three days of searching, of course, we might relate to the three days of cer- of, of Jesus being in the tomb. But this person um, suggested that it reminded them of the soul seeking for God as reflected by the lover in the Song of Songs, where the soul is seeking to be in union with, um, with Christ, uh, as Christ as our spouse. And so I just want to read these um, uh, words from Song of Songs because it, it just echoes uh, this to us. On my bed at night, I sought him whom my heart loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. I still rise then and go about the city. In the streets and crossings, I will seek him whom my heart loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen came upon me as they made their rounds of the city. Have you seen him? whom my heart loves. And that's Song of Songs 3, verses 1 through 3. So after I was thinking of this in relation to St. Joseph, I thought, oh, yes, what a great connection there. Yeah, I agree. I I think um, we're going to get to another very important point that relates directly to what you just shared, and and that is this interiority of Joseph's life um, reflected in his silence, but also... He is constantly seeking, and what do we mean by that? Well, let's, let's pick up this story a little bit by uh, moving forward and asking ourselves the question, what was the key to Joseph's silent serenity in all these instances uh, in the face of redirection and um, um, you know what appeared to be at times perhaps confusing uh, circumstances? Again, Scripture records very simply, Je- uh, Matthew one nineteen tells us, because Joseph was a righteous man. What does that mean, Joseph was a righteous man? We know that Joseph followed the Jewish law. We know that Joseph was a man of prayer, otherwise he wouldn't have had these experiences. And we also know, by his very actions, Joseph was not the center of his own world. You asked it before, how could you you know, go against Mary and, and Jesus? Well, of course, Joseph 
did anything but that. He simply sought to serve them in all instances. Uh, Mary was, and uh, uh, Jesus, uh, Mary was his wife, of course, and Jesus uh, arrived later. Joseph never placed himself first in this trio, and that's why there were never any reasons for Joseph to speak, to seek clarification, confirmation. He knew that everything that he was doing was in the best interest of Mary and of Jesus. So everything was beyond question for him. Um, there is something else mm-hmm. about Joseph. However. What is it? I'm anxious to know. <laughs> well, it, it runs through all these stories about these encounters with God, with the angels, and the fulfillment of his responsibilities. And it is something most people fail to realize, though we just touched on it a moment ago, and it's this. St. Joseph is not a New Testament figure. He's an Old Testament figure. Mm. And what do I mean by that? St. Joseph arrived before the fulfillment of the promise. Yes, Jesus is on the earth while while Joseph lives there, but the promise of salvation is not fulfilled during Joseph's life. Joseph knew about it, he'd read about it, but he never experienced it as the apostles did, as Mm -hmm. Mary did. But Uh, he would have been familiar with all the scriptures talking about the Messiah. He would, and that's what makes him so special. He was waiting for the promise. And how many of us in our lives are waiting for the fulfillment of the promise, right? We know the end of the story of salvation history. We know where this is all going. But at the same time, we're waiting. The question is, are we waiting with the same patience as an Old Testament figure who only knew it in writing? We know Jesus' life. We know what he came for. We know what he did. We know that it brings about the Easter celebration and the celebration of our salvation. And yet, how many of us struggle in ways that Joseph apparently did not? There's something to learn from Joseph in this regard. So what is it that made Joseph such a favored soul in the eyes of God? Well, I contend that it comes from uh, the prayer of one of my favorite saints, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. At the beginning of her prayer to the Trinity, she utters these words, Help me to become utterly forgetful of self. And I said it just a moment ago. Joseph lived his entire life utterly forgetful of self. What leads so many of us to question God's direction and guidance um, is the very idea, the very unfortunate reality that we are looking at the circumstances of our life or the things that we believe God is directing us to from our own perspective and not necessarily the perspective of others. Joseph had already freed himself of all of that baggage, if you will, in his life. Quite honestly, very few of us have ever been asked to do what Joseph was asked to do. Um, But uh, we are all asked to respond in some way to the requests of the Lord. And despite what might often appear to be contradictions, confusion, even chaos in our lives, we must hold to the faith that God is at work as he was with Joseph. And the fact that he never questioned anything just shows the purity of his faith. Yeah, and again, this Old Testament reference that I make, um, there's evidence of it in Jeremiah, which Joseph would have been familiar with. And it's from Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 12. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Then you will pray and I will listen to you. Then we will understand what it is that the Lord is asking us to do. Yes, we have to pray. That's what Joseph did. But more than that, 
Joseph practiced the full complement um, of what I think we are also called to, Francis, in this season. And it's why I think Joseph is perfectly appropriate, perfectly appropriate saint for us to focus on in this season. Of um, Lent, yes. Of Lent, right. Yes. There are two things I, I would bring out in that regard, and I mentioned one of them earlier and said I would come back to it, and that is, first of all, asceticism. By asceticism, we mean, yes, the, the natural elements of asceticism, self-denial, um, you know, the, the uh, suffering that we sometimes endure. Fasting is a great example of our asceticism. Yeah. The efforts we make to uh, grow, right? Right. In fact, asceticism in its original Greek means exercise. That's what okay. it means. We exercise the, the physical so that we can grow in the spirit. But even more than that, if we take um, uh, what I think are two of the more powerful forms of asceticism, the first is fasting, the second is night vigils. And I say night vigils because the Lord... Uh, of course, we know in his garden experience, which Joseph was not part of, but nonetheless, um, in that garden experience, we know that the apostles were found sleeping in the middle of the night, right? Mm -hmm. And the Lord commissioned them, could you not stay with me for one hour? I think that puts his stamp of approval on uh, night vigils and the importance of praying in the middle of the night, something I know both you and I do actively, Francis, because we trade emails sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's consoling. That. Yeah. So... For Joseph, uh, there is the inevitability of fasting because of his poverty. We know he was a man of poverty, but also night vigils because Joseph was responsive to what came to him in the night. These all came through dreams. There's something important about uh, these nighttime encounters with the Lord. The other aspect about asceticism for us, though not for Joseph at this stage of his life, is that asceticism isn't something we do to punish ourselves or somehow weaken ourselves uh, as a way of repaying God for our sinful nature. What we learn about asceticism is that it puts the body in what we believe to be a state of compromise. In other words, if I'm hungry, I feel compromised, and therefore I feel vulnerable. And when I feel vulnerable, what happens for us is that all of the weakness that's in us, all of the um, uh, confusion over the guidance and the direction the Lord may occasionally give us, um, seems to come to the surface when we feel vulnerable. And so the practice of asceticism, most especially of fasting, isn't done to harm us. It's done to reveal our weakness. In the case of Joseph, all it ever revealed was his inner strength. The inner strength mm, was beautiful. already there. And so it revealed it consistently. So uh, we should practice. Uh, by the way, another uh, form of asceticism is silence, just silence. When I could speak but don't, when I have the interior dialogue and I shut it down, those are also forms of asceticism. The second is recollection. And I, I'm going to, if you don't mind, Francis, I'll let you explain recollection. I think you have as good a handle on it as I do, because it is clearly something I said I learned from St. Joseph. Well, I, I think of recollection in the terms of how St. Teresa Vavla described it. And what comes to my mind is when she says it's like a turtle drawing in the arms, the legs, and the head, and going within. So you're you're cutting out the um, stimulus from the outside world, and you're going within your own self, not to focus on self, but to to find God within, to be right. with Him in within you. And in Joseph's case. Um, we can well understand that his practice of recollection would have precluded what many of us would have 
um, used for that discussion we would have had for God. God, how am I going to feed my wife and child on this journey? How will I care for my family when I'm in Egypt? Um, what about the complications of returning to uh, of Israel? Are we sure that all of his enemies are gone? Well, I've lost him for three days. Don't I have you know, some responsibility to ensure that he never does this again? So I would speak to him about We don't see any of that. What we see is a man who lives a deep interior life, and that is the means by which the Lord communicates with him. And Joseph simply dispenses through the practice of recollection anything that would otherwise serve as a distraction. He's simply an interior man. I think he'd be um, a great one to learn how to accept the good, the bad, the ugly as all coming as either God's will or God's permissive will. Right. So that everything that comes into our life, uh, God knows about and he's going to work for our good. He allows to happen. Yes, he allows to happen because he has our best interest at heart. And so maybe something negative happens, but man, sometimes we can really grow through those negative events uh, and uh, it'd be an opportunity to uh, prove our faith or prove our love or strengthen it. So um, I think St. Joseph, uh, his faith being so pure, uh, he, he didn't have any of those questions and, and his silence uh, just confirmed all of that, uh, that he uh, took it to heart and just acted. And, and, you know, somebody was saying recently about faith being an action. It, it's not just a sit back and you have it, but it, it's through your action that you um, express the faith. Right. We, we said a moment ago that Joseph represents the ideal model for the Lenten season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are very key examples that we've, we've already brought out. We'll just reiterate them to sort of capstone this. The first, of course, is prayer. He was certainly a man of prayer. We know that. He was a man of poverty. And, of course, there was an, uh, a, a sort of inevitability to his poverty. It was the nature of his occupation and so forth. But, but also Joseph practiced poverty. He actively uh, restrained uh, you know, the passions and the things that oftentimes uh, lead us to uh, sins of avarice and greed and so forth. Joseph had none of that. Otherwise, he would not have taken Mary as an example back into his home, despite being given that guidance. The other thing, I think, is penance, the practice of penance. By that, I mean the best penance, of course, are those things, not that we choose for ourselves, but that are chosen for us by God. In Joseph's case, there were many of those, uh, and we hear that in his silence, he simply accepted those as penance. So the three Ps, if you will, prayer, poverty, and penance, built on the foundation of the three things that we've also talked about. The first of those is fasting. We've talked about that at length. Silence, that's the really the, the sort of theme of the entire conversation, but also work. In order to do what Joseph did, we know he had to work. We know he was a carpenter. We know he taught Jesus to be a carpenter. We know that is, in fact, how he sustained his life. So active work is a key part of it. Well, I also take the word work and think of it as the um, duty of the present moment because that is always our work. (laughs) Right, right. And and I think work, too, encompasses uh, not just the physical labor that we engage in to sustain life, but the work of holiness. And the love of love, growing in love. Right. 
Mm. Well, uh, it sounds like uh, you've pointed out a, a lot of Lenten practices for us, Mark, and what a great model to imitate, that of St. Joseph, and how providential that his feast day is usually falls during the Lenten season. Um, and so I just wanted to bring one other thing up here before we close our conversation, um, and that is some different devotions to St. Joseph. Um, I have this little book. I just love this little book. It's from Tam Publishers. It's called Devotions to St. Joseph. Um, no, it's called The Divine Favors Granted to St. Joseph. It's by um, Father Bennett, B-I-N-E-T. And there's a chapter on devotions to St. Joseph. So I just want to uh, kind of go through a couple of these devotions real quick, not to elaborate on them, but just to list them. And maybe there'll be something in there that you would like to do and um, honor of St. Joseph and an imitation of St. Joseph. So the first one, of course, is imitate the virtues of St. Joseph, which is an endless list. Um, say attentively every day some short prayer in honor of St. Joseph. I like to say, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, I love you, save souls. So I get all of them, the Holy Family. Um, from time to time, consecrate an entire week to the glorious St. Joseph and really get to know him better and, and uh, seek his friendship. Choose seven titles of honor of St. Joseph and each day of the week honor one of those titles. Say, um, spouse of Our Lady, um, father of the Savior, uh, guardian of the infant Jesus, etc., etc. Uh, you can look at the litany of St. Joseph and get a lot of good suggestions there. Um, for the Feast of St. Joseph, celebrate the entire octave. So um, the Feast of St. Joseph is coming up. And so um, you might want to consider that. For this year. And um, if you miss this one, March the 19th, you can always get the May 1, St. Joseph the Worker, which absolutely. is actually the one we in Carmel uh, honor. It's the uh, St. Joseph uh, the Worker. So there'll be another one just around the corner. And then, of course, for the Feast of St. Joseph, um, uh, some people like to extend that throughout the year by celebrating St. Joseph on every Wednesday of every week. Uh, some by going to Mass in honor of St. Joseph, um, and some by offering a Mass in honor of St. Joseph. Um, another way uh, is to promote St. Joseph to your friends uh, and to others. You know, speak about him, just like we are doing. <laughs> um, and also look frequently at a picture or a statue of St. Joseph and have a conversation with him and learn to listen to what he has to say. Maybe he'll speak now <laughs> or forever hold his peace, right? Um Unite yourself spiritually to Our Lady and St. Joseph when you receive communion. And with them, keep the child Jesus company as they did. I really like that one. I never thought of that one. Um, and finally, imitate our Blessed Virgin Mary in the way she honored St. Joseph. Well, I uh, see that our conversation is coming to an end, Francis. Nice to be back in studio with you again. And uh Look forward to more opportunities to do this and also involve other members of our Carmelite community more often in sharing uh, what so many of them have to offer. Uh, but as we close, we wanted to honor St. Joseph uh, this way by uh, offering a closing prayer in his honor. And so let me begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, St. Joseph, whose protection is so great, so strong, so prompt before the throne of God. We place in you all our interests and desires. 
O Saint Joseph, do assist us by your powerful intercession and obtain for us from your divine Son all spiritual blessings through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that having engaged here below your heavenly power, we may offer our thanksgiving and homage to the most loving of fathers. O Saint Joseph, we never weary contemplating you and Jesus asleep in your arms. We dare not approach while he reposes near your heart. Press him close in our names and kiss his fine head for us, and ask him to return the kiss when we draw our dying breath. St. Joseph, patron of departing souls, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Again, thank you, Francis. appreciate the opportunity to be with you today, and I look forward to doing this again. And for all of you out there, look for our podcast. They can be found on... CarmelitConversations.com. Online, right. God bless everyone.